You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. So John chapter 20 kind of feels like it has wrapped up the gospel because it tells us of Jesus raising from the dead and appearing to his disciples and even telling them that as the Father sent him, so he sends them. So we even have the Great Commission. And so John 21 comes after that. And some people have referred to it as an epilogue or an extended scene. Uh, One of you was generous uh, during pastor appreciation and gave our family uh, gift cards to buy movie tickets. And so when Frozen 2 came out, uh, we took Haven and Lincoln, my son and daughter, uh, to see that movie. And I found out later that apparently I should have stuck around after the credits Because after the credits, there was another small scene. And that's become kind of popular in our day and age, that there's often a scene of a movie after the credits. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has made this incredibly popular, that you'd stick around after all of the credits, after all of the names had gone on the screen, because there's going to be another little tidbit that's going to tie up a loose end, or it's going to give you a preview of the next movie. That's what John 21 is. John 21 is kind of that after-the-credits scene. And I think that John includes this, even though he's kind of accomplished his main goal. He includes this because he wants us to see some really important things that take place in this moment. Because John 21 is all about a third uh, appearance of Jesus to the disciples after the resurrection. That he wants to tie up some loose ends, Give us an idea of what's coming next. And so you can think of John 21 kind of like that in credits scene. So look at verse 1, John 21 with me. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, John being the writer of this gospel, and two other of his disciples. So a good portion of the disciples are together. And Simon Peter says unto them, I go a fishing. Now this isn't like you and I saying, man, I need to go fishing. I just want, I need to relax. Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade. And so when he says, I'm going a fishing, he's going back to the trade. Some people say that this is him turning back to the life that he had lived previously. It may have just been he wanted to do something that was familiar with all of the things that were swirling around after Jesus' death and resurrection. But they're out fishing, and Jesus shows up. They say unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night... They caught nothing. How many of you have had a night or a day of fishing like that? You caught nothing. see some of you shaking your heads. No, that never happens to you, right? You are are an expert fisherman. Well, here Peter is a fisherman by trade, and yet he catches nothing all night. And the next morning, Jesus shows up. Verse 4 says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. 
And this is kind of like that moment where you've been working on a project and somebody shows up at the last minute with all kinds of advice and suggestions for you. Jesus shows up here after they've been fishing all night and he's like, have you guys tried fishing on the other side of the boat? And they're probably like, thanks, guy. That's really helpful. But out of politeness and kindness, they throw the net on the other side of the ship. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. They caught so many fish on the other side of the boat, the same boat that they had been fishing out of all night. They caught so many fishes that they couldn't even pull the net in. Verse 7 tells us, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat on him, for he was naked. And when Scripture says he was naked, he was probably down into like uh, his undergarment. He wouldn't have worn his outer coat, but uh, he throws that on and he dives into the water and he swims to the shore. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish lay there on and bread. And Jesus said unto them, Bring the fishes which you have now caught. They get there with the fish that they've caught, and Jesus already has some fish on the fire as well as some bread. He's made a meal for them. And they're going to enjoy this meal around the fire together. We'll best understand the importance of this moment that Jesus has with the disciples when we consider how Simon Peter first met Jesus. When Simon Peter first met Jesus, Jesus is teaching and Peter has been fishing and he's caught nothing. He comes in and Jesus borrows Peter's boat to launch out from the shore a little way so he can use the water kind of as a natural amplification for his voice. And after he's been teaching the people, he comes back and he tells Peter to go out and cast the nets, the nets one more time. Peter says, listen, we've fished all night. We've caught nothing. We're cleaning our nets. We're putting our gear away. But for you, okay. And when they do it, the net is so full of fish that they have to call other boats out to help them draw it in. And so in this moment, when they are suddenly catching fish and they haven't caught anything all night, they recognize that this is Jesus. And that first encounter that Jesus has with Peter, he tells him, Peter, from now on, you'll no longer be a fisher of fish, but you'll be a fisher of men. And what he's saying is that he's going to teach Peter. Peter will follow him and become one of his disciples. He's going to teach Peter how he can draw men into the kingdom of God. And it's an appropriate and fitting analogy because think about what fishing is. Fishing is pulling a creature out of their realm, out of their world, into a world that they really have no idea even exists. Now, occasionally a fish will jump out of the water and maybe they get a glimpse of the realm, the world that you and I live in, but they really don't have any idea of what it's like up here. And so fishermen with a net or with a hook, he draws the fish out of the world that they inhabit and pulls them into this world that seems completely foreign. In fact, they can't even live in this world without some help. Peter had been one who pulled fish from one realm to another, brought into an existence that they couldn't imagine, into a world where they could not live without some help or empowerment. And that's what Peter would do. He would pull the souls of men into a new realm. 
into a world that they couldn't even fathom, into a wholly different plane of existence, one that they had no idea about until they were pulled into it, one that they cannot go on living in without the empowerment, enablement of Christ. David Foster Wallace was a brilliant author, and he took his own life several years ago, sadly, but before that, in 2005, he gave a commencement address at a college, and in that commencement address in 2005, he he gave this little parable, which I think is very helpful. He says that life is kind of like two young fish who are swimming along in one direction, and they pass an older fish swimming in the other direction. And as the older fish passes them, the older fish says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two younger fish keep swimming on, and then eventually one of them looks at the other and says, what in the world is water? Because fish don't even really realize that they're swimming in water, they're just swimming. And Foster Wallace's point was that that people live in this world where we just kind of go from day to day, we go from place to place, thing to thing, item to item, task to task, and we don't really even think about the realm that we're living in, the decisions that we're making, the way that we are spending our existence. And the truth is that when we live our lives not even really aware of the realm we live in, how can we even fathom a realm that is so foreign to this one as the kingdom of God is? Peter is going to pull men into this new realm. Most people live their lives completely unaware of what the real meaning of life is, completely unaware of the decisions that they're making and the way that they are directing their life down a path, down a course, down to a direction. And they often find themselves in the middle of a mess and they go, can you believe that this has happened to me? Not recognizing that they have led themselves directly into that place. They've been swimming in the water all along, but they say, what's water? Peter was called to pull people into the realm of the kingdom, into the realm of the spiritual, into the realm of what is real and what is truth, into the realm that helps everything in this life make sense, into the realm where with the perspective of the truth of God, we can make sense of this world and its brokenness and why everything is always falling apart like it is and why people are constantly letting us down as they do. It's only in this realm that all of that comes together and begins to make sense. That's what Peter was called to do. But Peter had kind of made a mess of things. And so Peter has gone from pulling men into the kingdom back to pulling fish into his boat, and he's even having a hard time doing that. And now a guy yells from shore, hey, try the other side of the boat. And Peter probably rolls his eyes. But once he follows Jesus' advice, suddenly there's more fish that he can muster the strength to pull into the boat. And I think the point of the parable that John wants us to see here is that this kingdom work that Peter is about and this kingdom work that you and I are about, that we'll fish all night without catching anything unless the Lord enables us and empowers us, unless he directs us, unless we're so willing to listen to him that we'll cast our nets on the other side of the boat because he says so. (laughs) 
It may be that you've been fishing for something in your life. You've been searching, you've been looking, and you've just been coming up dry again and again, and there's been nothing, and you feel like it's pointless. Would you be willing to listen to what Jesus has to say and try something different? Would you be willing to change it up? Here at our church, we've experienced this, that there have been times that what we're doing, it feels like it's not making a difference, but as we stay submissive to what God would have us to do, we, we venture out and we take steps that maybe don't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense to the world outside, but suddenly because we're listening to Jesus' advice, people are coming into the kingdom. We were blessed on the second Sunday of November to baptize several people. I've had pastors call me and say, what are you guys doing? You know what I've had to say? I don't really know. It's tempting in that moment to say, well, you know, I'm just a really gifted leader. And (laughs) The truth is we're not doing anything that's really that drastically different from what we've been doing for the last 30 years. We've always had the same mission. There have been times we've changed up our methods, but it's always been the same mission. But if we follow Christ, we follow His leading and His guiding, there will be nights that it feels like we're not catching anything, but then there will be times that it seems like there's more fish than we can even fit in the boat. And so I think we have this end scene because John wants us to have a parable about what the kingdom ministry is going to be like. And secondly, I think he wants us to tie up the loose end of what's going on with Peter. You see, Peter had made a mess of things. We didn't focus on it a lot when we were in that chapter, but when Jesus is about to be arrested, he tells the disciples, listen, all of you are about to desert me. And Peter says, not me. Everybody else might run, but I will still be here. I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, before the the cock crows, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus is arrested, and and Peter is no coward, and so he stands with Jesus and even draws his sword against a whole crowd of servants and soldiers, swings at a guy, and takes off his ear, which Jesus restores. But then, as Jesus is on trial, people are asking Peter, hey, aren't you one of those disciples? And Peter says, no, not me. Someone asks him again, he says, no, I think you... You've got me confused with someone else. Someone asks him the third time, and Peter swears. He uses curse words, if you will, to emphasize his point. No, I'm not one of those people. And then after that, the rooster crows because it's morning, and Peter recognizes, what have I done? And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Jesus has since risen from the dead, and... Peter has seen Jesus, but they've not talked about this thing. And you know what that's like, right? When you've really put your foot in your mouth and you see the person again later, but neither one of you brings it up. And you just kind of hope that maybe they never bring it up. And in this moment, when Jesus appears to the disciples and Peter comes and he sits down at the campfire with Jesus, Jesus has that conversation with Peter. So look at verses 15 to 17. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, 
Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. In this little dance that Jesus and Peter do, Jesus brings to Peter a threefold restoration in the wake of Peter's threefold denial. But I want you to, to get a hold of this, okay? That in our world today, when somebody messes up, we, 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 are, we lean heavy on the side of compassion and grace, and that's healthy, that's good. We should show people compassion and grace. But I also want you to see here that while he is showing Peter compassion and grace and restoring him, he's also giving him a little bit of a rebuke here. Did you notice how he... He worded that first question. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? After all, that is what Peter had said. Even if everybody else denies you, Lord, I won't. Peter had thought of himself as the first and foremost disciple. He thought of himself as the best among the group. He thought that when nobody else would stand with Jesus, he would. And Peter had reason to think that. He was the one that was willing to step out of the boat and walk on the water. He was the one that had drawn a sword. But what happens here is that we see that Peter is finally humbled. Because Peter's answer is not, yes, I love you more than the rest of these guys. It's about Jesus. Peter says, Lord, you know all things. Lord, you know You are the Lord and you know all things, God. And in this moment, Peter is not concerned with kind of making himself look better as we often are whenever we answer questions and we kind of puff up our answer a little bit. We kind of make ourselves, we we give the the highlights of our story and not the behind the scenes. We give the very best filtered version and not the, the nitty gritty. Peter isn't doing that here. He doesn't make excuses for himself. He doesn't put himself in a better light than anybody else. He just says, Lord, you know better. You know that I love you. And after each of these responses, Jesus gives Peter a charge. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, a fisherman was no king. But a fisherman had a higher station in life than a shepherd. Shepherds were out in the fields living with their sheep, smelling like their sheep, considered unclean. Fishermen were there in the cities and the towns that were often often along the shore of the rivers or the, the lakes. They were right there. They would bring their fish in and sell them that day. It was a trade of quite a bit more honor and respect than a shepherd. And so to move from the analogy of a fisher of men to a feeder of sheep was not a promotion. But the metaphor here, though, is that if Peter loves the Lord, he will feed the Lord's people. He'll take care of the Lord's lambs. He'll feed their sheep. The picture of love that we have in the Scriptures is that loving God is preeminent. But loving God leads to loving people. And in loving people, we grow in our love of God. 
In fact, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I like the way the Bible Project puts it. If you were to ask Jesus, well, which one of those is the most important? Jesus would probably have said yes. They're both important. He said on these two hang all of the balance of the commands and the laws. To love God and to love others. That is the great commandment. And it's one that Jesus lived out. When Jesus shows up and he opens the scriptures in the synagogue and he reads from the book of Isaiah, he reads Isaiah 61, which says, I have come to preach good news to the poor, to preach liberty to the captives. He's talking about helping those that are in need, helping those who are desperate, helping those who need to be loved but are often very difficult to love. Hopefully, over these last months, as we've looked at the life of Jesus, you've seen that he's not just been one who talks about loving people, but he has acted on his love for people. That he fed the hungry and he cured the sick. That he helped those that were hurting. That Jesus came as an act of love and he died as an act of love. John would later expand on this idea in one of his later letters in 1 John 4, 8-12, which is a chapter after what Pastor Eric read to you earlier. He says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. What is Christmas? Christmas is the celebration of God's love for us and sending His own Son. And giving us the greatest gift that he could give. The one that was the most costly and sacrificial. To inherit in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the payment or propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then he says this really powerful statement. Not that any of the rest of them haven't been powerful, but I feel like it's so fitting for our context and in our culture right now. Verse 12 says, No man hath seen God at any time. What does that mean? No one has seen God. For the person who struggles to believe God, I can not snap my fingers and conjure up the image of God before them. No man has seen God at any time. However, if we love God, one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. What is the image of God that this world can see? It is the love that we have, because God has loved us and has been poured into us. And so Peter has been humbled, and then he's been called to live out a life of love. How would Peter be a fisher of men? He would be a lover of people. He would love on people like a shepherd loves on sheep. He would love on people who weren't that lovable. Can I tell you something that's just going to rock your world? You're not going to see this coming. People can be hard to love. They can. This past week I saw that someone said, you know, in fairness to the Grinch, it wasn't so much that he hated Christmas, that he hated people. And that's fair.
And there are times that we love Christmas, but we're not so fond of people. We love Christmas, but we're not so looking forward to getting together with some of our family. We love people. I mean, the big, you know, people, but, but that person... I mean, let's be honest, some of us are hard to love. I mean, not you, but I mean the other person, right? The person sitting next to you. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Love on these knuckleheaded people. So John wants to give us a parable of what kingdom work will be like. And John wants to tie up the loose end about Peter's denial of Jesus and help people see how Peter was restored back into the fold and Peter would become this leader in the church. And so John didn't want to leave that hanging. He ties that up. And I think there's really a third reason that becomes clear in the, the last verses of this chapter. Is that John wants to clarify a prophecy about the end of Peter and John's lives. At the very end, after... Jesus and Peter have had this back and forth about, do you love me and feed my sheep? Jesus tells Peter that when he's older, life will not be like when he's younger. Look look at verses 18 and 19 with me. Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And in case we're not clear on what Jesus means by that, John makes it clear in verse 19. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Now, before I get to the end, let me just point out something here it would probably be really troubling to find out what kind of death you were going to die. Would it? I mean, I don't, I don't think that I would want to know. Especially, I mean, if God has just said this is what's going to happen and there's no avoiding that. Peter is no doubt startled by this. But I want you to see that what the Lord has done here for Peter is he's given him a gift. Because Peter has been restored back to the fold and given this commission, this charge from the Lord to go and to preach the gospel, to feed the sheep, to love the people. And Peter would do that. And because Peter had done that, he would be arrested, he would be thrown in prison, and he would eventually be executed. And there's a story in Acts that tells us about the first time that Peter is arrested And he's going to be executed the next morning. And an angel comes to free Peter because it's not time yet. That time is going to come, but it's not time yet. And what is Peter doing? He's asleep, fast asleep. Why? Because in that moment, when Peter was arrested and he had been sentenced to death, he didn't spend the night wondering, Did I mess up? 
Because if he had gone into that chapter of his life thinking, well, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to be awesome. If I follow Jesus, everything's going to come together just like you'd hope it would. If he'd walked into that season of his life with that misconception when he was arrested and threatened to death, he would have thought, I must have messed up. And right now, there's a scourge in our world of this prosperity gospel that if you follow Jesus, everything will be awesome. And what that does for people is it leaves them in this place that when things aren't awesome, they think, I've messed up, or God's not real. And what Jesus says to Peter is, Peter, someone's going to bind you, and they're going to carry you, and they're going to stretch forth your hands, and that's the way that you're going to die. And then Jesus ends that with, follow me. Follow me. Recently read of a man who was witnessing to this, this person that he had, had, had met. The person was from a different culture. He was explaining him the message of Jesus. And the guy said, so you're telling me that if I put my faith in Jesus, that everything will be fine? And he goes, no, I can't tell you that at all. In fact, many people who have put their faith in God from your culture, they have been arrested, they've been killed. And the man said, well, why would I want to follow Jesus then? And he said, because it's true. Because it's true. And it would be, it would be just heartbreaking for you to come through this gospel of John, seeing the life that Jesus led and the things that he's called us to do and the things that he's called us to follow him in and for you to walk away saying, well, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to be awesome. No. But if you follow Jesus, it's true. It's true. So Peter responds to this and he says, well, what about John? And Jesus responds to Peter's question because Peter's like, well, is John going to die? And Jesus responds to Peter and saying, if, if I will that John lives until I return, what is that to you? He says, Peter, you don't get to know everything. This is what I've called you to. Don't compare it to what somebody else has been called to. But John wants people to know that what Jesus said is, if I will that John live until I return. But look what happens. Verse 22, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? Follow thou me. Verse 23, then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die, but if I will. That he tarry until I come, what is that unto you? John says, listen, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to tarry until Jesus returns. Jesus said, if I tarry. John wanted to, to correct this misconception that had started to spread. People had taken that quote and they'd left off one word. They'd left off the if. Two letters in our language, three letters in the original. And just those three letters left off had completely changed the meaning. And he wanted to clarify, no, what was actually said is this. The truth of God's word is powerful. And it should be handled correctly. When it's handled with care, it changes lives. 
But when it is twisted, it hurts people. Stephen Lobb has pointed out that Shakespeare used about 30,000 words, 30,000 different words in his works. The King James Bible uses about 12,000 different words. And in our common vernacular, we use only about 10,000. Unfortunately, some of them are things like bay and lit. John concludes this, this book in verse 25 saying that if we wrote about everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it all. But I've just tried to focus on these few things, and we have it here in our hands. And it's powerful. And I know that there are times that you read this, and there are words that maybe you don't understand. There's some of those 2,100 words that the Bible uses that we don't use in our common language or common vernacular, but I promise you, And when we get to know these words, like we've tried to get to know the words of the gospel of John over these last several months, it's powerful. It's life-changing. And as we come to the close of this look at the gospel of John, I hope that you have developed this taste, this thirst, this hunger, this desire for the truth. Because that's what matters. And anything that I've shared over these 36 messages that isn't the truth, jettison that, get rid of that, but hold on to this truth. Why? Because John wrote these things that we might believe in the Son of God and that believing we might have life. Would you bow your heads with me?